Hi everyone, my name is Greg Knight and I like watching, thinking about, and talking about movies. One of the great things about starting your own podcast is that there are some days where you get to actually talk to the creators of those movies. Our series Under the Stole is where you can find those conversations. I've had the opportunity to interview award-winning directors, up-and-coming documentarians, and even a legit Abraham Lincoln historian. So if you are curious about the creative spirit and want to learn more about how artists are inspired to make their passion projects, check out Under the Stole right here on the Popping Collars feed. When so when we do the book club episodes, I usually have like banter that you and Liz do before the introduction. Yeah, before like the music thing starts. Yeah. I don't know if you guys like that or not. I just always thought it was funny. So that's why I do it. But like, yeah, I like it. It's like backstage kind of. thing. Yeah. Do you guys ever feel self-conscious about what you talk about in the moments leading up to the show? I think we trust that you'll <laughs> cut out anything that will be incriminating. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think it actually is kind of charming. It Not that we're not charming once we're going, but. Yeah. But it's different. It's different when you're in show mode versus like not. Because I was I was just listening to an episode because I just finished one of Liz's books. And so I was listening back to an episode um, that you guys did. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I was listening to the pre-show banter and it made me laugh. So <laughs> no, it's good. I think I think it, it warms people up to us as co-hosts. You know, it's sort of like taking it's like posing for a photo versus catching someone candid. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a uniqueness that'll probably get in. <laughs> no, get that out and put it into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our Popping Collars Book Club, a satellite of the Popping Collars universe. PCBC, we like to call it because we like to think that acronyms make us seem cool and smart. Plus, you know, reading makes us seem and feel cool and smart. So it goes together. My name is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. And with me is not Liz Easton. What? Who's here? Introduce yourself, stranger. Hey, Ricardo. This is Greg Knight. I work at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. Thank you for having me on PCBC. We should tell our listeners uh, why I am here instead of Liz. It's unclear to me. I I thought she was under the weather. Maybe she's traveling. She's either traveling or she's under the weather or she's traveling under the weather. (laughs) No, she's not feeling well. And I think... She's been so uh, booked up with stuff to do lately. You know, she just needed some downtime. You know how when you go, 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 and the adrenaline keeps you moving, mm-hmm. and when you have a little break, suddenly you get sick. Yeah. Because your guard's down. <laughs> I like how you said that, booked up. That's very funny. Oh, did I say? Boy. <laughs> liter- 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 literariness pours out of my pores. <laughs> We may or may not have some book recommendations for you. Uh, I think Greg does. <laughs> I know I do. But before we get started, yes. can I can I make uh, an announcement to our PCBC listeners? 
Let's go. I am a newly minted reader. I'm I have famously come on this here podcast and said, I am not a book reader. Don't read books. And you know what? Liz kind of put her finger on it, I think, one of the times that we were talking, which was when she identified that like a lot of people, when they think about reading, they think about when they had to read for school and how reading, you know, at a young age and and sort of reading classics not to say that they're not good but they feel they're they're homework they're literally homework right and so um and so as you become an adult you start to sort of associate reading with homework and or punishment depending on how you how you see homework right um and i recognized that like that was kind of what was in the recesses of my brain whenever i thought about reading part of it was that i'm a slow reader and so i feel like i'm an inadequate reader what so yeah. there's a little bit of shame there but then um part of it also was that like i never really discovered reading for fun and so and so Starting this year, I have been going back and read and reading the books that you all have recommended on PCBC. Oh, and nice. I'm about halfway through your podcast and I'm loving it. I'm loving really? it. Really? Yeah. So we have good taste. You guys, okay. So let me tell you this. Now that I've read your books, you guys have good taste and you have very different tastes. And I don't think I I don't think I fully appreciated that until I started reading the books that you were recommending. Like your books are very different from each other. Are you going to say more about that or is it too personal? I mean, no, I can say more, but I don't want to take up all the time. <laughs> like, you can edit yourself out later. <laughs> Unless you're really interesting. So Liz's books that she recommends are very like character heavy, like very character study heavy. So it's like um, you really dive deep into like one character or one small group of characters and you really dig into like their process, like how they're mentally processing the world around them. So, so far for Liz, I've read two Brit Bennett books, The Mothers and um, Vanishing Half, which are very much like that, right? Like very, you know, uh, small world and you like live in the lives of these characters and you understand their motivations and all of that. But also The Night Watchman I read that she recommended and a lot of characters in that book, but still like you understand like what it is that they're doing, their motivations, like all that stuff. Yours, I find to be a little more heady, like a little more, um, what's the word? I'm like, like unique, like literarily unique is kind of how I would describe it. Mm. So the two that you've recommended that have stood out to me are Homegoing by Yaagiasi, which is like a book that's told over many generations of people. So it's like you start with like, you know, folks from, the early 19th century and you make it all the way up to the 2020s. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I was thinking of Exhalation, the Ted Chang book that you yeah. recommended, which is yeah. like a collection of sci-fi short stories, but like the 
the sigh of the sci-fi feels almost magical in the way that it tells the story. Like it's very like feels very lived in, but in a kind of a magical realism way. And so, yeah. So like I, yeah. So that's the, as I've been going back through and reading your books, like I've, I've noticed that like you guys are coming from two very different places. That's interesting. Gosh. You know, I, I, I will often go and buy a book because Liz recommended it. And I now have about half a shelf of those unread, <laughs> but thanks for that tip. I, I guess it makes sense. I don't know. I, I choose books based on what I read in reviews. And obviously there's probably some unconscious uh, sorting process that happens when you do that, whether you know it or not, not just topically, but um, kind of book wise. And sounds like what I think you're saying is that my stuff is a little more thematic. It's about kind of ideas or, or, you know, situations and hers is more character driven maybe, but I think so. I think, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not that the character, like the characters are all very rich. It's just that you kind of move, you're with them for a very short amount of time. And then you, you move on to another thing and another thing and another thing. Whereas Liz is, um, Liz is very much like a deep dive into a character. Like that's a, a lot of her books are like a deep dive into like a person or a few people. And like yeah. living, living with them and stewing with them for like a really, for like, you know, 300, 400 pages. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's the difference. That's interesting. I mean, maybe Liz, I mean, maybe I, I wonder if she would say yes to the question, do the characters become like your friends and companions for the time that you're reading that book? Like, you know, you have them with you throughout the day kind of thing. I wonder if she say yes to that i think anyway yeah i think companions is a good way to put it yeah yeah well it's interesting that you said you used to see reading as work literally homework which is which it is it was and um these days when i can read it's actually uh it's the opposite of drudge it's actually kind of saving grace listening to an audiobook uh on my way to work or on my way from work uh helps me kind of get outside of the church world and be in the place. So now I'm listening to a book called The Wager, and it's about a, a shipwrecky situation in like 1740. And, um, you know, your head really gets into that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, suddenly you're at church and you've got to deal with, you know, the problems of the church. But for that time, you get to escape. So for me, it's not homework. It's It's not prison, it's release. Not that church is prison, but you know, it's, it's, it's a chance to be somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, someone was asking me about audiobooks earlier. I think we may have talked about this on the last time you and I did a book club episode. So mm-hmm. I may cut this part out, but like audiobooks are hard for me. Like my mind drifts during an audiobook. Like if, if I'm listening to somebody read a story, it is so easy for me to think about something else. And then like five minutes later realized that they've been talking the entire time and I haven't been listening, you know? Yeah. That happens to me sometimes when <laughs> I have to hit rewind, you know? Um, but yeah, it's uh, you want a, a good audiobook is very narrative driven. Yeah. You know, uh, doesn't get into too much, uh, too much description. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I I wish I had more time to sit down and read because I think that's it. it really is the difference. There is a difference in uh, in what you kind of remember and how you experience um, when you're actually reading the words. Mm-hmm. The so, so another thing that I've started doing is that I joined our church book club. And this is actually not necessarily a way to get new, more books, like because if I have other people that are counting on me to read the book, I feel like I'm being held accountable. And right. so like, therefore, like I, you know, I've got, I've got to do the reading. I'm curious, like, have you ever been a part of a book club or anything like that? I have led book clubs uh, at uh, churches, including the one where I am now. It, it stopped. It's been, it's been uh, dormant for over a year now, but uh yeah, same idea. You know, I want. It's like this will make me read because I have to kind of lead the discussion. Well, that works about a third of the time, actually. <laughs> and luckily, there's always someone who's finished it. Um, but um, you know, it's it does help. It does help. I, I I like you know the 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 book club thing. At least in the two churches where I've done it, brings out a certain group of people who don't engage in other ways. Um, They love literature. They love good books. uh, They love trying new things and they'll come and they'll, they'll sort of blossom in a way that they don't when they're in church or they don't even come to church much, but they're faithful about book club. So yeah, I mean, ideally, yes, it would make me finish the book, but in real life, it, it doesn't quite. When yeah. you've run those before, did people in the group like pick the books or did you assign books for the group? We've done it various ways. Um, I, tr- I, I try to be, I think the best way is to be democratic where everyone, so everyone would give me two recommendations and then I would anonymously put all of those in one email and say, here are the ones with like a one sentence description of each book. And then everybody votes and you tally up the votes and whichever got the most votes wins. That's not a bad way. And then sort of no harm, no foul, because you all sort of chose it. However, if you get a group of people who all seem to like reading kind of about civil rights or, you know, nonfiction, social justice stuff, then, you know, you don't get to read the, I don't know, the, the something that's not that. Uh, so you run a risk of, of it skewing a certain way. Um, another way I've done it was, yes, the rector's choice this year. Uh-huh. And, and that actually doesn't work so well. Um, I, my taste apparently doesn't translate that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if you try to put as diverse as late as possible, like they're going to, because it's you, they're going to have something in common, right? Like they're going to, they're going to follow some kind of track, you know? Yeah. Right. The other thing is, our, this is a lot of talk, by the way. I You're going to have a lot of editing to do. No, um, but just, just to finish the the the, the topic. I've I've always done it on a quarterly basis, so seasonal, because I knew I couldn't read, commit to reading more than that, and even then, right? So it was, and and there were four different genres. So it was like spring was literary classic, summer was nonfiction, fall was um, contemporary literature, like something more modern, and then winter was spiritual writing or memoir. Okay. And so those, you know, it was good because you mixed it up and people had interests. 
the one I was going to start, and I might still do this, was to have everyone give me the name of a book, and I'd put it on a piece of paper and drop it in a hat. And we would just pick them out randomly, and that would be the next book club. Everybody gets to have one book yeah. if you all commit to doing the whole course of it. So, Or you could pull the book names out of a bag, or you could put the book names on a wheel on an app on your phone and then spin the wheel. Yeah, sure. Have to talk to, <laughs> have to, talk to Betsy about that second one. <laughs> See what she thinks. Um, yeah, something like that. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't know. I mean, frankly, if I had my way, I would just say I'm reading through my bookshelf uh, that I, I have 800 books that I haven't read them. Join me for this one. <laughs> you know, This but, is my first time being part of a church book club. And I, you know, the thing, the funny thing about church is that like I have a movie class that I teach and stuff like that. And the assumption is that like, I guess, I guess some people's assumptions anyway, are that we're just watching like, I don't know, the Ten Commandments like over and over again or something, you know, like something's going to have like an overtly biblical or spiritual component to it because it's a church movie club or a church book club. I wonder about that with books. Like if like, because we're offering them through our parishes, if people expect them to be like spiritual spiritual or like spiritual curious or whatever books spiritual adjacent yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) the quote liz kind of so i don't know what your book club is going to have are they are they more spiritual books that you're reading no so far so far it's all over the map yeah and it's it's also really intriguing like i feel like you get some insight into like people because so our book club is democratic it was like I think they select books in May for the coming year. So there's already like a, a full year's list of assigned books. Um, wow. And we read like one book a month, basically, is how it works. Mm-hmm. And I've found that like there are some saucy books that our people <laughs> pick for the church <laughs> book club. So it's like, great. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. This is not what I was expecting. I sometimes wonder if like new people joining the book club have that same thought too, where they're like, oh, wow. Church people think about this stuff. Interesting. You know, I, I, I always, I sometimes wonder because that's what our book clubs have been. The ones that I have started. It's like, we're not reading religious books necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think at first it kind of throws people, it threw people off. They even seemed a little disappointed because there are some people who are hungry to learn mm-hmm. about some of that stuff. And if they don't get it at church, where are they going to get it? And I, I hear that, you know, I really do, but I'm not that interested in reading spiritual stuff. I'll be honest. Um, I am more interested in finding the spiritual in the secular, which, you know, is one of our taglines in a way for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so not that we discuss it overtly, but it's it tends to come up with, you know, various things. And I think it throws people off, but I think it also, it brings out a certain part of them. It comes out to play, you know, if, if we're, you know, we read the beautiful ruins uh, by Jess Walter, I think that was the very first one for the book club. And people are like, well, why did you pick this book? It was so fun. It was so interesting and blah, blah, but it's not religious. And, but it's memorable. 
And they got to talk about their travels in Italy and they got to talk about Richard Burton because he's a character and, you know, and other things and books they've read. And I think that's healthy. I think you got to bring your whole self to bear on your faith and on your religious community uh, or else you just kind of only bring the parts you think are going to be um, palatable to other people. Um, yeah. On the other hand, huh? Oh, no, I was going to say, I think that's totally right. And like, you know, the beauty of like scripture or something is that usually like meaning is hidden, like in the in the text somewhere. Right. It's not like there's not sort of an overt message. There's usually not an overt message that's like going to come out and sort of offer itself on a platter. And that's what I love about like reading books that don't seem sort of you know, religious on their surface, because like life is about sort of looking for the sacred in the midst of the, you know, the secular. Yeah. Right, right, right. I will say though, on the other hand, I won't say it feels lazy, but I I think people miss out on an opportunity to deepen their faith or their spirituality when we're not focusing on things that are kind of quality religious books. Hmm. Just, I just don't think that's me. But I, I don't, I do, I do believe that if people really come with the right attitude, you, you will read, you know, the cloud of unknowing, or you will read a Richard Rohr book, which we have done, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and because you've got a sort of natural inclination towards it because you go to church, you, you find stuff in it, and I think that really, it's not just a good read. It's like, oh my gosh, I learned something for my life or about God or about how I want to be in the world. And we miss that opportunity sometimes if Mm -hmm. we don't, you know, if we skew it just towards, you know, let's pick fun books we want to read. Yeah. You know, maybe you mix it up. Maybe it's like, it's a spiritual year. (laughs) Right. Religion. It's religion year. Everybody turn to page one of Paul Tillich's systematic theology. Here we go. (laughs) Oh no, page XIX <laughs> for the introduction. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, we should probably do something here. Um, this is great. We're doing something, but we should probably talk about maybe a book recommendation or other thoughts we've been having about reading and such. Well, funny you should mention. So talking about the book club, the book that I would recommend came from our church book club. A book that I would have never read, would have never even occurred to me to read um, had it not been for the book club. And it is a nonfiction book, which is also unusual for me because I usually gravitate towards fiction. Uh, And it is called Grandma Gatewood's Walk. Uh, The author is a man named Ben blah, 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 blah. Oh, him. <laughs> you maybe you maybe know him better as Ben Montgomery. Ben Montgomery okay. is the author of the book. Um, and I think he was up for a Pulitzer for this book, maybe. Wow. So what's or, it about? For something this, else. Who's Grandma okay. Gatewood? Yeah. So Grandma Gatewood, this is one of those things. I remember when I was in high school, I went to go see Apollo 13, right? When it came out and I left the movie theater and I was thinking to myself, how have I never heard of this story? 
of like astronauts stranded in space. That seems like it would be a really famous story. And the way the movie presents it, it's like on the news and like people around the world are praying for astronauts and stuff like that. And I always think like, how did I miss this? So I was thinking the same thing when I was reading this book. It's about this woman named Emma Gatewood, who at the age of 68, 64 or 68, somewhere in her 60s. In the late 1950s, so like around 1957 or 58, she makes her way to Georgia and starts to hike the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, Mm. the entire thing. Um, She doesn't tell anybody that she's going on this walk. She just shows up in Mount Oglethorpe in Georgia. And just starts walking. She has no supplies with her. She has no tent. She has no. She has a very small bag. That she can throw over her shoulder. She has one set of clothes. uh, And that's it. And she just walks. Wow. Through the woods. It doesn't seem that smart. But okay. Like the whole time I'm reading. Like the start of this journey. I'm like. This woman is not going to make it, but spoilers, people, she makes it (laughs) all the way to Maine. But the entire way, like she starts walking and eventually she gets discovered by like people in towns along the way, because this is the 1950s. Like the Appalachian Trail had been through hiked by maybe two other people. By the time she started walking, and the only reason she started walking it was because she saw uh, an article about it in a National Geographic or something like that when she was at her beauty salon or something. So it was like she just found this article and the trail just called to her. And so she just started walking the trail. And so eventually she gets discovered and like reporters along the trail start to report her story and it starts to become local news and then it becomes regional news and then it becomes national news. And then by the time she makes it to Maine, like there's a full sort of like associated press article, like monitoring her progress as she's like walking the Appalachian Trail up to Maine. It became wow. like sort of this national sensation. It, it, it's just crazy. So like anyway, so the bulk of the story, the bulk of the book is made up of her first trip along the trail. And like each chapter is like a different stage. It's basically like each chapter is like a different state that she's walking through um, on that first trip. And she encounters all kinds of, you know, wild animals and um, uh, strangers on the trail that, you know, she's not sure if they're going to steal her stuff or not. And like sometimes people are hospitable to her and give her a place to sleep. And sometimes she gets just gets turned away, like in the rain. At some mm. point, a hurricane hit <gasps> the northeast and there's flooding. And like she has to like wade through floodwaters um and stuff it's just it's amazing it's just this amazing story and the entire time you're thinking this is a this is a, an elderly one this is like a 68 year old woman like mm-hmm. out here in the elements doing this walk and it's just it's it's mesmerizing to think about and it's just so well written 
I think is what ultimately is the reason that I would recommend the book. It's, it's so well written that you're just, it's, it becomes a page turner. You just, you just want to follow the progress of this woman and Hmm. what's going to be the challenge that she faces in this, in the coming state and stuff like that. She Mm -hmm. gets, she has to avoid rattlesnakes at one point. She almost gets bitten by a rattlesnake. It bites her pants leg, but it doesn't actually break through and get to her skin. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Even the snakes are friendly, kind of. Who's <laughs> <laughs> only going to bite you a little bit? So she was a grandma for all of this stuff. So she, um, so th- that's the other side of the story. And probably the more compelling part of the story that I don't want to if you read the novel, that's the part that I don't really want. It's to not a novel. It's nonfiction. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So if you read, if you read the book, um, uh, it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to spoil this part, but she comes from a very, uh, she has a very tough married life. Um, oh. And, and, and she has a lot of children, a lot of children, um, and it's kind of after she has gone through the trauma of her marriage and raising her kids and stuff, that's when she finally feels freed enough to make this walk. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a it's a it's a really amazing story. Yeah. All right. Grandma Gatewood's Walk. Is that what it's Grandma called? Grandma Gatewood's Walk by Ben Montgomery. Um, I know it sounds uh sort of cheesy but i mean i'm i'm telling you it's a it's a really compelling tale a pretty quick read and um and you will come away um super impressed with this with emma gatewood nice it does sound cheesy by the way thanks for saying that um it's like oh the five lessons i learned or uh what's that tuesdays with maury or something no it's not like that it's so funny because like at one point uh, one of the reporters gets in touch with her kids and they're like, did you know your mother is like wandering around in the wilderness of the Appalachian trail? And her kids are like, yeah, sounds like something she would do, you know, like not concerned at all. Just like, yeah, sounds like mom. <laughs> Look good for her. You know, the thing is that, that, that thing that you talked about where she just started walking, she didn't have any supplies. She had one change of clothes and she just felt compelled by that article to yeah. just go out and walk. I mean, how how impossible is it to do something so pure, you know, in our lives? It really is. You can't, it's like, what are you doing? No, you got to go to REI and try out the different boots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what about the backpack and what tent are you going to use? And what about the spray, the bug repellent and the bear, the bear, what do you call it? The bear juice or whatever. (laughs) Um, Bear spray, sorry. <laughs> Clearly, I don't go camping much, but I know just enough to let you know I know nothing. Um, but is but you know, it, it's such a pure thing. And yeah. I I want, I mean, I don't know if the book goes into it, but it would be interesting to kind of hear about her motivation, like, or what is it in 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 her character that would actually make her so kind of irresponsibly just say, This I want to do now. I think that's what the author is trying to tease out for most of the book. And I, that's the part that I wouldn't want to spoil. It's okay. I think think there's a clear, I think he puts his finger on it. She would never be sort of like, she would never think of herself enough to sort of comment on why she did it. She always just says, well, I just felt like going for a walk. 
So, <laughs> you know, so that's where she's coming from. But like, I think he does a good job of teasing out her motivation. And um, but again, like it all comes back to this was like a national story that I had no idea of. And I love stuff like that. I love like being surprised by like um, pop culture events or history that I just was ignorant to. Yeah. All right. Terrific. Thank you, Greg. Mm-hmm. Well, go Emma Gatewood. You know, I have fantasies, you know, when you're sitting there on a Saturday night and you're like, oh, this sermon, I just want to walk out the door and go have a different life <laughs> like every Saturday night. And um, it's just, she did. She just did it. Just and did what it. Would that, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm fascinated by that. What would it mean in our lives to just do that? Because at least I, and I think most people of our listeners are conditioned that you've got to do these things a certain way and right each day for everything to be okay. Mm-hmm. And if you just drop it all and walk off to do another thing, that that's explosive. That 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 challenges everything. So there we are. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you, Greg. Um, I wish I had a compelling choice. The last time we had PCBC, I confessed to Liz that I did not have the kind of the um the the fervor for books that she seems to. She'll always have something she wants to recommend. And I just kind of like, well, I guess this one was all right. Not that I just read bad books, but I just don't want to recommend something unless I absolutely love it. And, you know, those are kind of few and far between. Liz then confessed, if I can just tell on her, but it's already in the last episode, that she tends to rave about books a little too easily. (laughs) And then she gets in trouble because people will hear the rave and get the book like a friend. And they'll be like, why did you love this book? Oh, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, she, she'll, you know, it won't be like, she'll just sort of, she falls in love easily. Let's put it that way. And I withhold my love. So, you know, that's, that's the difference between us. Uh, So it's always hard for me to find a book to recommend. And in fact, today is no exception. I want to recommend a book, but I can't because I'm only on page 28. So should I even talk about it? Yeah, sure. Here's you can thing. pre-recommend it. And then if you need to go back on this recommendation, you always can at the next PCBC. There you go. Well, um, I'm going to pre-recommend a book based on the first 28 pages, because I know you need to put a picture on the website of a book. <laughs> it's like, that's the bottom line here. So I'll give you that. And then we'll go on to other things. Um, the name of the book is Old God's Time by Sebastian Barry. <laughs> From what I can tell, so it, here's the thing. This, and this is a secret. This is not a secret. This is how I've come across books. I'll be reading whatever, The Week, The New York Times. Um, that's kind of it, you know, or The Atlantic, mm-hmm. you know, online. And they'll, they'll do a little book review or whatever. They'll interview an author. Well, they, the, I think it was The New York Times, did an interview with, no, I don't know where it was. Who cares? But it was an interview with the author. Oh gosh. It's the gay Scottish author. I'm going to have to do a little looking up. Okay. Google gay Scottish author. <laughs> I will Google that. Oh, actually I'll, I'll ask Siri. Hey Siri, who's that gay Scottish author? 
who won the Booker Prize. Oh yeah, Douglas Stewart. <laughs> he um he wrote a book called Shuggy Bane, uh, and it was the uh, Man Booker Prize winner two years ago, I believe. Uh, and it's it's supposed to be awesome. It's I own the book. It's on my shelf. Uh, this article does not give an, a year, 2020. Um, and so uh, Douglas Stewart wrote Shuggy Bane, and it's about a gay man in Scotland's relationship with his mother. And it's it's supposed to be amazing. Well, uh, Douglas Stewart came out with another book more recently that's also on my shelf called Young Mungo, I believe. And it's, I think, about another gay Scottish guy. No. Uh, but it's a little more graphic in its content. And so that was intense for people. So he was being interviewed, Douglas Stewart was, uh, and it was in the New York Times. And they it's called Buy the Book. They ask all these same questions of different authors. Mm -hmm. And so they, I think they say something, what's the last great book you read or something like that? And he said, Old God's Time by Sebastian Barry. He couldn't put it down. And the writing was beautiful. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get that from the library. And lo and behold, I did. And I started reading it. And the writing is beautiful. And you don't know necessarily. It's, it's sort of like pornography. You know it when you see it. Well, you know it when you read it. Um, and, you know, Stephen King, I've enjoyed. I've, I just finished listening to the Institute. And it was quite riveting. I didn't want to stop the car. But uh, there's a difference. Um, and... Um, Sebastian Barry is an Irish writer, and this book, it, it sounds so, you know, it's about a retired cop who has, you know, he's got a past, you know, it's so cliche, but um, it begins where he's rented a little cottage adjacent to a castle at the cliff's edge of an ocean, you know, in Ireland somewhere, mm -hmm. and he's been there nine months, and he's apparently just trying to forget stuff from his past. But I tell you, the description of where he's staying felt so cozy and he's retired. And I've been fantasizing lately about retirement, which can't happen for at least nine years. But um, it just it just drew me right in. Um, but of course, he's going to have some dark stuff happen and he's probably going to get drawn into a case. And I think it's going to have stuff to do with uh, child abuse and the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland etc. And I think something may have happened to him. But that's not, I don't know all that for sure. But I do want to read you just one little thing that I just, I loved it. And I don't know if it's going to come across in my reading of it. He's looking out from his little cottage on the ocean. And he looks out into the water. And it says, bah, bah, bah. he thought of the fish in there lurking about like corner boys. Were there porpoises this time of year? Conger eels coiling in the darkness. Pollock with their leaden bodies and indifference to being caught like failed criminals. Just love that. Pollock. <laughs> Pollock with their leaden bodies and indifference to being caught like failed criminals. It's like a you know fat criminal who doesn't care if he gets caught. <laughs> Boom. That's the Pollock. And it's just, it's so vivid and it brings a whole other image into your mind, but it's brilliant. And he just drops those on every page. Um, and that's only one. But Sebastian Barry, Old God's Time, don't know what it'll be like. Uh, Douglas Stewart also recommended another book called, well, I'm not going to tell you. 
because I haven't even started that book. I just have it from the library. But it also sounds fascinating. And it's about these, well, I don't, never mind. So <laughs> that's my recommendation. Now, can I say something else? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a thing I thought I would talk about more, but uh, I think I should stick to that one book that it's a pre-recommendation. I have recently listened in this calendar year to two Stephen King novels oh. uh, from like his recent oeuvre, um, you know, from the 20 novels he's written in the last four years. And um, one of them was called Fairy Tale. And I don't know, I think it came out in 2019 or so. Okay. Uh, and then The Institute, which just came out maybe last year, 2022. You know, his writing is these two books have a lot of similarities to me uh, and they're very different than the stuff that I read. I read the early Stephen King when I was in high school, you know, Carrie, the dead zone, Salem's lot, the shining, all that business. Uh, and I stopped, I think at like pet cemetery. Yeah. You know, maybe different seasons. The, the, four. yeah, it had like a pulp, like a pulp quality to it. A lot of it. Yeah. Yes. But so these two books, they, they have, their hooks are so irresistible, especially fairy tale. So there's a there's a young man, the young teenage boy, he's like 15 or 16, and he stumbles upon a portal to a whole fairy land where there's all this stuff going on. It's in the shed in a, the back of this old man's house. And the old man has mysterious stuff. Well, and he's got gold and stuff. Well, he found in his shed this portal to a whole other world that's like fairy tales. It has princesses and, uh, you know, wicked people and little leprechauns, all this stuff. He finds it and they're fa they've fallen on hard times and there's all this inventive stuff about it. And I just was sucked in. I wanted to know what happened. But then partway through, he gets caught by the bad guys and put into a, a prison, a, a cell in a castle with other people. And they have to fight these games to the death. And I just hated that. I didn't, I mean, I didn't really like that. Hmm. It just became this whole centerpiece that was like a hundred pages of the 600 page book. And it was just depressing and violent. And why did you have to have that? Why can't we have more magic stuff? And I think that he, um, maybe he just feels like he needs to pad his books or maybe he's got a way of doing it now. But yeah. the whole fairy tale thing was just, I was like wide-eyed with wonder. And I love that feeling. When do we ha even have that feeling anymore? And then the Institute, just to say quickly, similar. It's also kids. And the kids are the ones that have to do the saving. Uh, but they get captured by this shady worldwide organization. I won't go into it. But basically, they're captured because they have certain properties that help them become weapons uh, mm -hmm. against bad guys. And so this government, but they, they're treated really violently i mean they could probably never make a movie out of this because kids are like tortured you know and again that's like at least a third of the book but then interesting stuff happens and you really want to know what's going to go down and you care about the characters so he's he's such a he's such a propulsive writer um but i feel like he gets bogged down in these kind of set pieces of imprisoned children <laughs> having to fight their way out and learn you know, how to bond and stuff. It's interesting that he's focusing, at least in these two books, on young people. And they're kind of having to be brave and strong and probably be better than the adults around them. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know. 
I, I, I liked them both. I will say fairy tale gets an edge for its magicalness, but um, he's writing different stuff, at least for, from with these two novels in mind than he used to, which was much more horror, I think, and much more, um, I don't know, recognizable as well, because he was a pioneer and in, in some ways, maybe of the genre. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, He's just so prolific. I mean, that's the that's the word that comes to mind with Stephen King. He just has so many stories just running through his brain. Um, the fairy tale one, just really quickly, a fairy tale one sounds a little like Pan's Labyrinth, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, in in, in the, the setup, yeah, in the setup, yeah. Um, you know, he. I feel like King's always kind of played. He's always sort of dabbled with kids and stuff. Like, I think kids yeah. in peril just automatically grips you as a reader because you're like, Oh, I don't want anything bad to happen to the kids. So like it always kind of, it's like the best parts of it are the parts with the kids, you know, like, um, like stand by me and stuff like that. Um, I think, uh, Carrie's a teenager. That's right. That's right. Salem's lot. They're kid. Yeah. So, Anyway, it's just it's it's so fascinating. I there's so many things to read out there and there are different reasons to read and sometimes you really just want to listen to a Stephen King audiobook at 1.25 speed and let it whisk you away to a land of horror and dread. Totally. And as a as a new reader, as a sort of a what is it? A newly converted reader, um I can tell you that like I have never had as much fun reading as i have this year so good for you greg hey you know you're doing a grandma gatewood you just opened a book and started reading started reading all right i think that's good are we good is that yeah we did it awesome job ricardo get well soon liz get Get well soon get well soon or whatever it is that you need to do liz yeah, I bet she's getting a lot of reading done while she's lying in bed, <laughs> pretending to be sick. <laughs> oh, good. Well, we look forward to our next PCBC with Liz. Greg, it was so great to have you with us. I am, We are proud of you for becoming, um, that's not condescending. We are truly proud of you for taking that step and becoming a reader. It's a big deal. And, and the books that we recommend aren't necessarily the easiest ones to read. Um, you know, they, they ask something of you. Uh, which is what kind of great books do, I think. Um, well, the the next book on my journey through PCBC is what was the author, the guy that was the singer for the Eels? Oh my gosh, E. Uh, Mark Everett. Yes, Mark Everett. That's my next book. Is oh, uh, I think you'll like that. Yeah, so. yeah. It's it's kind of an intense, but good. All right. Well. That's it for another episode of Popping Collars Book Club, PCBC. Please, folks, read on. Let us know what you think. If you've read any of these books, drop us a line. Uh, No, what do they do? How do they let us know now? You can email us because, listen, everyone knows social media these days is just a dumpster fire. No one wants to communicate on these platforms. And even the owners of the platforms seemingly don't want you to communicate on them because they make it so difficult for you to use. So email us, poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and tell us. Or tell us a book that you've loved and want to recommend. Who knows? It could pop up in our next church book club group discussion. And we'll give you credit. So that's a wrap. Keep on reading and keep those collars popped. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I thought you were going to say keep on popping. Pop, pop. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how the script goes. Reading and keep on popping. That's, oh, that does sound good. All right. Well, maybe next time. I am giving you.